I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down. About Welcome to a town. solo edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I am Ralph Amsden, sitting in for uh, both Chili and Brett Quintine this week. Uh, just wanted to jump really quick into Arizona State versus Utah. This is a big matchup for Arizona State. It wants to attain bowl eligibility. That's very important for this season. A lot of people predicted them to not even be eligible for a bowl. Uh, Utah wants to stay highly ranked and move toward a potential Pac-12 South uh, title and Pac-12 championship appearance, most likely uh, against Washington. So a lot on the line for both teams. This is going to take place at Sun Devil Stadium, where Utah hasn't had a lot of success. If you remember last year, Arizona State hung with Utah for three quarters before Devontae Booker uh, and the rain ultimately took that game over. If you are a subscriber to Devil's Digest, then there's a lot of great content this week. Joe Healy of the Speak of the Devils podcast, great friends of ours, has put together a great game preview um, for Arizona State's matchup with Utah. And one of the things that he points out um, is that Arizona State's going to be going up against a quarterback who you know, isn't just going to sit in the pocket but can also run the ball that has given ASU trouble in the past. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, on, a, on a local recruiting note, uh, Utah is going to be without J.J. Dealman, who was their starting center going into the season. He had a knee injury. It's kept him out for the entire year. This was a game that he was really looking forward to. When I caught up with him at Pac-12 Media Day, he had told me that the win last year meant a lot to him, uh, both him and Dennis Erickson alike. Dennis Erickson being the former Arizona State head coach uh, who has you know a, a little bit of an axe to grind uh, with Arizona State. And J.J. Dealman, who was just uh, a six foot five, you know, two hundred and thirty pound offensive tackle at Desert Vista, who didn't get any looks from the local schools, and Utah managed to put eighty pounds on him, and he's a legitimate NFL prospect. So they'll be without him. Their their vaunted offensive line might actually have some holes in it, uh, but ASU is probably looks to be without Salamo Fiso and Christian Sam themselves. ASU, even though they had a bye week last week, they're not completely over the injury bug yet. Now, one of the things that I want to get into before we talk any more about Arizona State versus Utah is uh, one of the things that's been of great interest on the Devil's Digest uh, premium message board. And again, if you're not a subscriber, uh, it's uh, pennies a day. Go ahead and, and, and get yourself a username, get signed up, and we'd love to talk to you and let you know what's going on uh, as insiders involved with the ASU football program. But I want to bring in Hode Rubino, publisher of Devil's Digest, who's been doing this a really, really long time, to talk about Arizona State's 2017 recruiting efforts. There's been some concern. ASU hasn't had a commit in a long while. Um, they're very heavy focused on the locals this year, whereas a lot of people would like them to be looking in Texas or California, or let's be honest, people want them getting five stars from all over the country. They want everyone to be Nikhil Harry all the time. It's not really going to work out that way. But this year, there's definitely some cause for concern. And so to either uh, stoke those concerns or, or, or to belay those fears a little bit, I want to go ahead and, and, and bring in Hode Rubino and see what he has to say. 
All right, so I've got Hode Rubino, my boss, uh, Devil's Digest, and he is uh, he is on because you know I, I think uh, there there's some concerns about recruiting this year. Obviously, there's been some changes uh, with the staff. There's been some changes uh, w- within the actual uh, staff responsible for uh, communicating with recruits and, and organizing uh, the class. Um, but at, but at this point, you know, it, it's been about three months since ASU's really seen uh, any action um, as far as verbal commits. And at this time last year, uh, especially this week, was a really big week for uh, people who follow Arizona State football and Arizona State recruiting, especially on Devil's Digest. Uh, around this time last year, this week last year, is when they landed both Nikhil Harry and Chase Lucas. Um, but things seem to be moving a little bit slower this year, Hode. What's going on? Well, um, I think there are some uh, plausible reasons for that. Um, something that I mentioned in the huddle uh, several times before, and ironically just uh, today Todd Graham reiterated, is that um, as a philosophy, he and the coaches really don't uh, cherish, for lack of a better term, hosting recruits on a game week. Uh, they feel that their commitment, first and foremost, uh, should be preparing for the game on hand and uh, obviously analyzing the game as quickly as possible uh, after it concluded so they can uh, make sure that they learn whatever they need to learn from the game, when or, when or lose, and move on uh, to the next game as quickly as possible. So when you're trying to entertain a recruit on an official visit in the midst of all this, uh, it really becomes, um, you know, a, a being spread too thin uh, phenomenon, if you will, that uh, the coaches are not able to um, really devote all the resources they'd like to devote to uh, really uh, hosting a recruit on an official visit while still doing their job on hand, which is a year and now. So um, that's uh, just um, a philosophy that really has caused a very uh, low number of uh, visitors uh, to date uh, to come uh, during game week. So obviously there's some visitors that the coaching staff feels that they have to get in um, early in the year. Okay, I, I venture that venture to guess that those are prospects that it really wasn't significant one way or another if you brought them in early in the year during a game week or later in the year uh, closer to signing day and again at a time where the coaches have more time to spend uh, with recruits. But uh, that has definitely been the mantra of uh, the Arizona State coaching staff. Uh, The numbers are skewed when you compare uh, the 2016 class, which this time last year had uh, 14 uh, commits and uh, right now only has eight commits. But uh, I think another um, reason to look at this is that obviously, as we all know, there's been a big turnover in the coaching staff in terms of assistant coaches. It does take time to build uh, recruiting relationships. Um, I'm confident that uh, new coaches on the staff like Jay Novell, Chip Lindsay, and TJ Rushing uh, can be uh, good, if not great, recruiters down the road. But uh, it is a process that uh, requires patience, and I know in recruiting, patience is probably the last virtue that uh, you will exercise. But nonetheless, um, I think uh, the 2018 classes and beyond may be a better indicator of how this staff can recruit, and I wouldn't judge them too harshly, if you will, uh, based on the 2017 class. But um, again, I just feel that uh, just bringing the bulk of your official visitors, I mean, at at this point, we'll probably look at maybe 80% of your total official visitors in 2017 class cycle are going to come after the season 
uh, does conclude. Uh, so we're looking at December, we're looking at January, maybe a little peppered here in uh, November. Uh, but again, uh, the coaches feel that that is more conducive to their um, recruiting philosophy and recruiting efforts to spend as much time as possible, uh, whether you're whether preparing for a bowl game or not, uh, you can compare um, hosting a recruit uh, on a non-game weekend to uh, hosting them uh, in, in September or October. So that's the philosophy of the coaches, and that's why uh, recruiting news has been uh, slow, uh, slow to come by in uh, September, October, and part of November. But uh, I suspect it is uh, going to pick up, especially only having uh, eight commits and a lot of rights to fill. So I, I got to know, you know, you, I, I've been with you for two years um, doing, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with the high school recruiting scene and work as a recruiting analyst for Devil's Digest, but I wasn't around the Arizona State football program um, with the analyst perspective when they launched the, the Stay True campaign. Uh, did you actually envision a scenario in which Todd Graham would go from pulling at most four of the state's elite prospects to being in a situation where they could bring in as many as eight to ten and have several kids who were probably worthy of a scholarship maybe four or five years ago who want to attend Arizona State but are going to be kind of out in the cold as far as uh, not not even being able to be offered just because of A, the depth of the, the high school class this year, and B, the effectiveness of the campaign to get kids to stay home. Well, I mean, I guess it's like a yes and no um, answer. Um, I don't mean to harp too much on the old coaching regime, but let's just say that Todd Graham and his staff, when they arrived here following the 2011 season, had a lot of damage to repair uh, from the work, or really uh, lack of work, I should say, of Dennis Erickson and his staff and his uh, in-state recruiting efforts. So, um, you know, when when you're a new coach, you have a laundry list of challenges that await you in in that uh, first year. And obviously, uh, establishing recruiting relationships really from scratch, whether it's uh, in-state or out-of-state prospects, uh, is definitely not a proposition that's appealing uh, to any coach, no matter how confident you are in your abilities as a recruiter and your and your staff abilities as recruiters themselves. So um, I think that the, the uh, State Chew uh, to ASU campaign is, uh, was a campaign that I think everybody at the Carson Center knew that it's going to pay dividends down the road, that it would be hard to turn this um, overnight. Um, I stated many times in the past that I thought that uh, Arizona State would have uh, resonated more with in-state recruits when they posted the back-to-back 10-win seasons. Um, you know, you can maybe the argument that maybe some recruits have judged Arizona State maybe a little too harshly uh, during a, a great period of success. Uh, and obviously you always, always have that uh, grass is greener elsewhere uh, syndrome and, and also the mere fact that just like Arizona State is able to lure recruits that want to get away from home, whether it's from California, Texas, or even Louisiana, in some cases, um, the reverse is the same. And somebody that was uh, born and raised uh, in Maricopa County, the last thing you want to do is uh, spend their college days in Maricopa County, no matter um, what the stature is of your uh, hometown college. So that's another dynamic that um, was, um, you know, working, I think, against ASU, um, if you will. But um, I, I always knew that uh, the Arizona State uh, coaching staff under Graham, and this probably goes more to the 
um, coaches that are no longer here, like Mike Novell and Chip Long and Chris Ball, uh, they were tireless recruiters in and out of state. And I felt that the fruits of their labor uh, would indeed uh, come uh, to fruition uh, down the road. And again, like I mentioned, I, I feel that uh, some of the uh, coach, new coaches on the staff, especially Chip Lindsay, who have been hearing left and right stories, how well he's connecting uh, with the uh, local uh, Arizona high school coaches. And obviously, Donnie Antis being the new uh, on-campus recruiting coordinator, uh, somebody who coached at Paradise Valley High School as well as Arizona Christian, um, knows the um, Arizona high school landscape better than you know most any recruiter that even sets foot in Maricopa County. Uh, those those are um, facts that are really helping Arizona State land as much in state recruits as they have to date, and uh, to be uh, really in the thick of things uh, with the uh, more elite. Uh, recruits like an Austin Jackson, like a Tyler Johnson, like a, like a KJ Terrell. So uh, I feel that um, you know, as a, as a campaign that started out, you know, really modestly, even though landing DJ Foster um, out of the gates and uh, Todd Graham's first recruiting class was obviously uh, no small feat. Uh, but I also felt that um, that uh, it really was going to be a movement that was going to take time to catch on, maybe catch on, caught on a little slower than I expected, but nonetheless. Uh, I think uh, the uh, large number of in-state recruits you're seeing right now, and and still the uh, you know pretty big number that are still on the board for Arizona State, uh, I think showing that the uh, state true to ASU campaign uh, is really paying its dividends right now. And obviously, you know, the things like what DJ Foster was able to do uh, while he was here is going to help that, and 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 Nikhil Harry getting on the field so early is uh, you know kind of gives people something to look to uh, and a way to envision themselves um on the field because going into this year we had talked a lot about the threat of of you know there being no one that actually steps up to be kind of the hometown hero during what we figured would be a down season so that'd be kind of a, a double kick to the gut but obviously the offensive line has seen at times three to four players from from the state of Arizona uh and and Nikhil Harry has had a, a massive impact as a freshman yeah absolutely and uh, with Nikhil Harry I mean in some ways it's a little too easy because when you come as a number one rated wide receiver by rivals.com a five-star prospect obviously that goes hand in hand with that uh and to play as well as you do, uh, like I said, it's uh, maybe you take it too much for granted, but there's no doubt. Um, you know, I always said, look, I love for Arizona State to build that perennial fence uh, in recruiting and really keep all the uh, elite homegrown talent in state. But at the same time, you don't want to just fill bodies that just happen to have, you know, a 602 or 480 error code. I mean, you want to make sure that those players can actually play, can actually contribute. Um, so Nikhil Harris is really the best of both worlds in, in that way. And I was DJ Foster back in the 2012 class was uh, also um, a player that came with uh, tons of expectations and really lived up to each and every one of them as the season went along. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, the success that Nikhil Harry is having right now should help uh, the just, not only 2017 class, but classes to come. And and again, just not to belabor my earlier point, but you really thought that DJ Foster's success would really cause more elite recruits to come through the uh, 13, 14, 15 uh, classes. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the success that Nikhil Harry is having, which again, maybe in a way you expect just because of the uh, uh, laundry list of accolades and every positive way that he came to Arizona State with, 
uh, you, you would hope that um, that can really resonate uh, with uh, in-state recruits in, the, in, in, in future classes. But there's no doubt in my mind that Nikhil Harry is really the best of the both worlds, um, an elite player uh, that has justified the high expectations. Oh, and that's, you know, icing on the cake is that he actually uh, attended the high school uh, not even 20 miles from Tempe. So my uh, last question on recruiting, uh, we seem to have seen Arizona State pick up uh, the pace as far as extending offers, uh, but the offers that they've been extending have either been to 2018 kids, so they've kind of moved on to the to this year's juniors, or they've been going after some of the elite junior college defensive linemen and wide receivers. Uh, specifically targeting those two positions at the JUCO level. I just wanted to get your thoughts on why you think that is um, and and whether or not that will be a piece of the final uh, uh, pie when it's all put together um, as far as the 2017 class. Well, we all know that Todd Graham is uh, never shy uh, going deep into the junior college ranks to grab good talent, and uh, I know that's been really an ongoing discussion on the message boards ever since Graham arrived and started assembling his recruiting classes uh, as to the fact, is he uh, delving too much into the junior college ranks and not getting enough high school players? Um, Look, I mean, you can definitely make the argument that there were some key junior college additions that helped Arizona State win uh, uh, 10 games back-to-back, win the South. I mean, you can just go down the list. Chris Young, Jalen Strong, Damaris Randall, Marion Grice. Uh, the list, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, sure, you're not going to hit on 100% of your uh, junior college transfers, but, I mean, then again, uh, who hits 100% on their high school uh, uh, prospects that, that, that join a team? Um, I think when you, come, when you look at the uh, specific uh, positions uh, that you mentioned, uh, the defensive line and defensive backs, um, but, Obviously, with the defensive line, are you looking at physical uh, maturity? And um, as good as a defensive lineman that you that you are in high school, uh, there's probably a good chance that you still have uh, quite a bit to develop physically. And when you get somebody that's closer to 20 rather than 18 years old, then uh, you can achieve uh, that goal in and itself of just getting a wide body. Now, obviously, sure, you need to play at the end of the day as well. But um, I think that's uh, something that uh, Arizona State um, is looking at to get uh, the uh, the college-ready body that uh, you're more apt to discover from the junior college ranks rather from the high school ranks. And why wide wide receiver? Because, I mean, you look at this roster and you see the haul that they pulled in uh, from the 2016 class. Yeah, I I think personally I feel like Kyle Williams could be a star no matter where they end up using him but you you know you have you have Frank Darby um you still have Ellis Jefferson you know who could possibly contribute as a senior if he hasn't by now he probably won't but you'll you'll have a lot of talent returning next year and then guys who haven't even scratched the surface yet like Terrell Chapman um but they they seem to be pursuing like three of the top four junior college wide receivers right now one one even from College of the Canyons where they got they got Tim White. Um, it, it, do you think that's a hallmark of, you know, uh, of of basically Jay Norvell um, wanting to wanting to get his type of guys in there, or um, or, or yeah. do you feel like maybe they're not as deep at wide receiver as it would seem? Well, I mean, uh, I think maybe it's a combination of both. I mean, um, obviously Jay Norvell coming in 
I'm sure he gives everybody a clean slate, but at this point, being on the job uh, almost through his first season in Arizona State, uh, he obviously made some you know, sweeping conclusions, if you will, that, okay, uh, receiver X or receiver Y uh, is really able to help me in the next year or two, but, you know, receiver, uh, you know, C and D, uh, maybe not so much. So, sure, I mean, I think uh, at some point, uh, you know, without naming names, it's it's probably an indictment on some returning uh, receivers in 2017 that, you know, Jay Norvell is not too high on. Um, I think it's also a matter of uh, while there is some talent, um, as far as proven talent next year at wide receiver, uh, it's really just Nikhil Harry and Jalen Harvey. And then you have a bunch of unknowns, either players that really haven't gotten significant minutes, or you get somebody, like you said, like a Frank, Frank Darby or John Humphrey that, uh, you know, sure, are coming in with, uh, you, know, you, know, pretty, you know, pretty high accolades, a lot of promise. Ryan Newsom is another, another player, but uh, have not uh, yet to play in a Pac-12 game, so maybe somewhat of an unknown. Uh, but like you said, Ralph, uh, I mean, they're not going after just any wide receiver that's really going after the high-caliber one, uh, somebody that can take pressure off of, off of Harry and Harvey, uh, and somebody that can really contribute right away, and at worst would maybe be in the two deep as a, as, um, as, a solid, as a solid contributor. So to me, I mean, that's, that's the logic uh, behind the wide receiver. As far as the defensive backs, um, you know, I think they had some marginal success getting physical uh, defensive backs in uh, Jamarcus Rhodes and uh, Maurice Chandler. I think, those, I think those are two players that, you know, haven't been horrible in 2016, but I think it can be much better in 2017. Uh, so Arizona State, uh, to try and pluck one or two defensive backs from the junior college ranks. I mean, again, you're talking about physical, uh, physical maturity. You're talking about possibly defensive backs that might be taller than, uh, than six feet, you know, something that even NFL teams are uh, coveting these days. Uh, I think that's the reason why Arizona State uh, would look to the junior college ranks uh, for that position as well. So again, I mean, I think that um, you can go into the junior college ranks and you can even bring five, six, seven players in a class and, and sure, some fans are going to frown about it, but what is the quality of those prospects at the end of the day? How soon do those players um, contribute? Again, you look at Todd Graham's record, and it's not a bad record when it comes when it comes to junior college uh, transfers. Um, I'll never say that you should bring in you know ten, twelve junior college transfers a class. That that's obviously uh, would be a, a gross mismanagement of your recruiting. But even if you brought seven, eight uh, players and and five or six of them end up being good, if not um, stout contributors, I think uh, you definitely uh, showed you to do due diligence in recruiting. And I think, I mean, we're seeing we're seeing other programs come around, like like Alabama, like SEC schools, and even though they have rosters full of four- and five-star guys, you know, if someone can contribute right away, they're never going to turn them down. But while I have you, uh, and we're talking about recruiting, this is basically Todd Graham's first full cycle that's going to be uh, graduating. Obviously, there were some junior college kids mixed in um, that, that he got uh, in the last couple of years. Um, but for the most part, this was the when you know he actually got to establish uh, himself as the person recruiting for a full year. You know, the recruiting, the outgoing recruiting class this year, the seniors um, almost completely belong to him. And he's never been at a program, you know, for for as long as he's been uh, with, with Arizona State. So this is really. Um, the first time he's gotten to see this come to fruition. I just wanted to get your thoughts on this group of seniors. Who stands out to you? What, if anything, um, 
you're you're going to remember. And then another question I had is really what's what's this group of seniors' identity? Because I remember last year, it was basically you know people that had overcome so much was kind of the theme. You had Antonio Longino, who we know a lot about. You had uh, Mike Mike Bercovici, who waited. Jordan Simone, who left Washington State and walked on here. It was it was sort of the um, sort of the the knock around guys type thing. It, does this group of seniors kind of have a um, like a unifying theme, or is it, or is this kind of just sort of a quiet year with some some guys that'll kind of kind of fa- fade out and not necessarily be um, re- remembered as highly regarded as other Sun Devils that have come through? Um, I would use the word quiet, but not so much quiet year, but more quiet personalities. Lyle Mokiel and Salamo Fisu, I think, are. Uh, Two of the um, Arizona State defenders that are uh, some of the best of all times, uh, you know, especially when we look at this century. And uh, those are two Richard seniors that uh, were, were barely, uh, you know, the most talkative players uh, by any means. I think, uh, uh, you know, Salama Fiso is probably still some kind of uh, uh, ASU media boycott. Uh, no, no fault of our own. Just a uh, guy does not, does not, does not like to give interviews. You know, Lime Okiola. Probably better with the interviews in uh, junior and senior year rather than as uh, freshman and sophomore. But uh, I would say just really uh, just the quiet uh, lunch pail guys that just uh, did a great job for the Arizona State uh, defense. Uh, really instrumental, I feel, in 2013 and 14 to the success um, of, of this team. And um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that. Um, I would say a big characteristic of the senior group. Uh, Carlos Mendoza is another player that uh, you know doesn't doesn't get, a lot, doesn't get a lot of pub now. His contributions were obviously modest compared to Mokiola and, and, and Fiso, but uh, just another player that um, you know just went went out there went out there and did it and, and did his job. Um, he's one actually that really fought a lot of adversity. Um, had a horrible um, luck with injuries uh, th- throughout the year, and uh, actually uh, for for his senior year, it looks like he's healthier. Than he has been in a while, and uh, with Salama Fiso being out uh, first due to suspension and now due to health, uh, it was uh, good to see it's good to see Carlos Mendoza uh, contribute in spots. Uh, when you look on the offense, look at a guy like Evan Goodman, uh, somebody that came with a lot of accolades and uh, really hasn't lived up to them at all. Um, but his senior year, maybe showing a glimmer of hope that he could play uh, close to that level. Um, but, uh, you know, Evan Goodman, uh, Stefan McRae, Phil Lyman, uh, tight end uh, Cody Cole, uh, you know, Frederick Gamage, uh, you know, a player that uh, was uh, once a walk-on and uh, has under scholarship the last three years. That's really just, um, you know, quiet guys, not so much contribution-wise, I would say, but just personality-wise, uh, definitely uh we're not there, um, you know, in the headlines as uh, somebody like DJ Foster that uh, obviously was, uh, you know, one of Todd Graham's biggest signings, if not the biggest one, when you look at the magnitude of in-state. So that's really what I remember um, from um, from this uh, senior class, just a bunch of, uh, like I said, uh, blue-collar, hard-working guys that just uh, went out there and, and did their job. Um, you know, some of them obviously had a little more success uh, than others, but uh, I think, again, uh, definitely uh, some of those players were uh, – key parts in the um, great success of that, that uh, Todd Graham had in 2013 and 14. Well, that's how I like to think of the Devil's Digest staff. Quiet, hardworking. Uh, <laughs> d- definitely appreciate um, 
you have me be part of the huddle. Uh, go with if you if you're curious as to more uh, about what's going on with recruiting, uh, jump into the huddle. Uh, we, we're talking junior college. We're talking in state, um, and and we always have that information. So thank you so much, Hode, for for uh, being part of the Devil's Junkie podcast this week. No problem. Thanks for having me, Ralph. And of course, you know, Hode didn't forget. He texted me right after our interview to to say that obviously this senior class uh, is going to greatly uh, miss the matriculation of Zane Gonzalez, ASU's best kicker of all time, potentially NCAA's best kicker of all time, and Matt Hawk, who has quickly um, ingrained himself as as a favorite amongst, you know, you never like to see the punter come out, but what Matt Hawk's been able to do as far as developing consistency as a junior and becoming really a great punter as a senior uh, is going to contribute to the memory of probably what this senior class was for ASU. So let's jump back into this ASU versus Utah matchup. Obviously, ASU uh, wants to slow down Utah's offense, and this isn't the same offense that we've been used to seeing uh, over the past few years. So let's talk, actually, to Fabian Ardaya, who wrote for Devil's Digest a breakdown of the offense that they're going to be bringing to the table. All right, so I've got Fabian Ardaya uh, here who actually writes for everyone. Uh, if you have a website, he probably writes for you, uh, even even though you didn't know it. Um, but he, he writes for Devil's Digest, and every week he does film study uh, of, of each upcoming opponent. And they're always incredibly thorough and incredibly informative. Um, I think he's the only person I know that's actually done them uh, on the high school level for high school teams. Uh, and so it's it's a pleasure to have you on, Fabian. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me, Ralph. I'm not bad, and I'm not bad. I was, I was reading through your film study on, on Utah's offense. It's up on devilsdigest.com. And I, I, would, I would venture to guess that Arizona State fans, you know, they, they pay attention to what's going on at Arizona State. They pay a little bit of attention out of spite as to what's going on at University of Arizona. Uh, and, and then there's always sort of some peripheral knowledge of the L.A. schools. But as far as Colorado and Utah, that, that can always kind of sneak up on them and be a little bit of a surprise. And, and they're, they're used to having, you know, a few years of Travis Wilson and knowing about Devontae Booker. Well, those guys are gone. Uh, so, so what does Utah have and what has led them to, to crawl up into the national rankings? Well, it's basically the same thing as it, as it has been in the past. It's just with different guys at quarterback and running back. Uh, Troy Williams has been very good, very solid as a quarterback. He came from the University of Washington. And he's a guy who, unlike Travis Wilson, who was basically a tank in the pocket, who didn't really move much, but it was hard to bring him down. Troy Williams is more of a natural running threat. He's a guy who was able to pick up a lot of yards on the ground. I think he has five rushing touchdowns this season. And the biggest thing that's been the difference for Utah these last couple weeks has been Joe Williams at running back. He's a guy who retired before the season, trying to avoid potential injury, but came out of retirement in these last five weeks has been incredible. He's been averaging more than 150 yards a game. I think I thought he reported at something like a 4-3-40, and he's just been incredible. And that having those two together in the backfield is what sets everything up for Utah's offense. It's a lot like ASU's offense, except a uh, lot less risk-taking. It's uh, that read-option type stuff, and it's a lot of uh, principles that I play in H-back and stuff like that, where you just should have ran the ball down people's throats and hope that the offensive line steps up. And Utah's offensive line has done so. I think they've had probably arguably the best offensive line play of any team in the conference this season. 
and it's been making a huge difference for them. That's why they're quietly one of the best teams, not only in the conference, but in the country. Now, there have been teams like Cal that have sort of surprisingly been able to to, to slow the pace of that offense. Um, what What is it that ASU might be able to do uh, to, to bottle. I remember last year they bottled up the running game for a solid three quarters, uh, but because they couldn't get anything going on offense, eventually uh, Booker broke out and, and did most of his damage in the fourth quarter, uh, which was a, a home game in the rain, a uh, really hostile environment for Arizona State. Um, but, uh, you know, all things being considered, what's Arizona State going to be able to do to, to limit this Utah offense? I think it has to go down to stopping the running game again. Uh, you have to be able to bobble things up and force Troy Williams to stay contained and throw the ball because he, frankly, has been very hit or miss with his ability to hit his receivers in stride. A lot of the route combinations are meant to be high percentage throws for him where he can maybe bury off, maybe throw it a little bit too far or throw it a little bit too far right and still get away with it and not turn the ball over. If ASU can shut down Joe Williams and force them, Utah to become predictable, that's that's a situation that really plays in ASU's favor. It's a decent matchup for ASU because they do have the personnel to stop the run. Uh, they, they're banged up, but also they still have a lot of good run stoppers on the team, on this defense, and maybe that will put some pressure maybe on their secondary to try to force a turnover or two uh, and maybe switch the game in ASU's favor that way. Last year, they surprised Arizona State by going over the top uh, a, a couple of different times, and, and Travis Wilson actually ended up having one of the better games uh, in his college career, which has sort of been the theme for everyone that's played against Arizona State the last two years, minus maybe a Josh Rosen. Um, and even then, Josh Rosen had his career high in passing yards. But uh, is is this year's quarterback, is he somebody that's going to be able to do that? Because Travis Wilson did have the big arm. He, he wasn't great with the short routes, but can Troy Williams go over the top and do the type of damage that other quarterbacks have been able to do? Um, I think he can, but I, I just don't think that Utah's personnel really fits through that at this point. I think they have a lot of receivers with a lot of size, which will play into it, but they don't have any really burners in this receiving core. They have guys who are physical, who can sort of outbeat ASU secondary on these jump balls and type, those types of plays. So they're not going to really try to hit you over the top, I don't think, that much. Because ASU, for all their issues with pass defense this season, the one thing that they have been able to do pretty effectively is avoid getting burned over the top too much. Most of their big games and the really explosive plays they give it up have been the intermediate routes where it's one or two missed tackles and all of a sudden it takes what should be a 15-yard game into a 70-yard game. It's not really any of those times where you see Kareem Orange get beat over the top or there's no safety help or anything like that. So if ASU can stay, stay uh, sharp with that, uh, they should be able to avoid balls over the top. It matters just being able to break, bring down those uh, big receivers in space. So Arizona State's typically very good against the run. In two games this year, they did get gashed. Uh, USC, which just had sort of a bigger, talented um, offensive line, uh, and then, and then, obviously, what happened in Colorado is probably the anomaly of the Todd Graham era. Is is this Utah offensive line, you know, missing a couple of key pieces uh, to injury? Are they going to be able? Are, is it going to be closer to the USC Colorado experience, or is this going to be? Do you think um, you know, Arizona State's calling card be, make make them beat you with the throw? I mean, Utah 
their offensive line has been one of the best in the conference so far this season, and they've been pretty effective even despite their injuries. But I do think ASU is equipped to at least make it competitive in that one. Where I think Utah might be, have the ability to break a big run or two. I think overall ASU is probably going to have they have to rely on that play on stopping the run, and they're probably going to be reasonably effective at doing that. All right, thanks a lot, Fabian. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. All right, thank you. Thank you for having me, Ralph. Always great to talk to Fabian, and let's uh, let's just jump right into the defense. Eric Smith, also a staff writer for Devils Digest, he was able to uh, talk to a few coaches to break down some film on on Utah's defense, and you know, they're a base defense. They're a four three defense. They play physical. Um, you know they'll play a little bit of zone. They'll play a little bit of man. They depend on the, the players that they get. They're not going to be these four and five star guys. I've actually had conversations with Coach Whittingham where he's told me, you know, we're not going to get four star guys. We're not going to get five star guys. What we're going to get is we're going to get three stars, and we're going to depend on ourselves to coach them up. And you know that that's going to be frustrating for somebody who says, you know, well, why can't we do that? Well, everyone tries to do that. Utah just has to hunt a little bit more because you know th- there is a lot of talent in the Salt Lake area. There's a lot of poly talent in the Salt Lake area, but you know surrounding areas there's not much. They have to leave, travel quite a, a big distance uh, to do most of their recruiting. And a lot of their recruits come from California, but they're not the guys. You know they're not competing with USC for guys. They're not competing with UCLA, and for the most part, not with ASU either. You know, they're getting guys who uh, were, were potentially hoping to get offers from ASU, USC, and UCLA, and having to to you know redshirt them and prepare them to be contributors as redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors. And so, you know, the defenses that they put together out there, they depend on having a lot of depth. They've been going the JUCO route lately to get a little bit of help. Um, they and and they depend on just being physical and well coached, and so uh, basically, you know what what Eric had to write. It's it's very simple, but at the same time, it's very telling. What Arizona State's going to need to do is they're they're going to need to be physical. They're going to need to play fast, um, and and one of the things that they're going to have to do is not turn the ball over because Utah will really take advantage of that every single time. Uh, Eric talked to ASU offensive lineman uh, Evan Goodman, the, the left tackle, and he you know, he said they're really good. Um, I don't rank anybody, but they're a really good front, and he feels like this is going to be a huge challenge for them. Offensive line coach Chris Thompson told Eric uh, that as far as how they stack up, he'd say that this is the best group as far as the defensive line that they're going to face all season long. So huge challenge ahead for, for Arizona State. Um, you know, if they get this win, they're bowl eligible, which is really important to the season. But at the same time, if they don't get this win, you know, that, then you're in a situation where you're looking at Washington, which is one of the top four teams in the country, has just been moved into the playoff picture. Uh, and, and then University of Arizona, who might look down after taking a huge 69-7 loss against Washington State. But it's still a rivalry matchup, and you never know what could happen. There was the year where they came in at 2-8 and eight and still knocked off Arizona State. So you never really know, and that's going to be down in Tucson. So you know that adds a little bit more uh, of intrigue to, to that game and, and wouldn't necessarily make it a gimme. So if you're, if you're ASU right now, getting that monkey off your back, getting an, a, a sixth win, doing it against a ranked team, a team that you've traditionally – done very well against up until last year 
I wouldn't say that this is a must win, but it really would help define your season as being successful um, because you'd be bowl eligible, you'd have a, a, a win over a ranked team, you'd send your seniors out in their final game at home, you'd send them out with a win, and you'd set yourself up to potentially be a seven or eight win team. You know, I'm not going to go ahead and give them that Washington game, but they could beat U of A, and they could actually get a win in a bowl game and, and make this season look pretty well, considering all of the injuries and, and everybody kind of learning on the job. So I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens this Thursday. Um, personally, uh, my, my prediction is that this is going to be a, a low-scoring affair. Uh, I think with Manny Wilkins being helpful or healthy, uh, that'll be helpful. He'll be able to possibly get in the end zone a couple of times. I'm not sure how much success he'll have in the passing game, but I feel like if he is um, making some plays with his feet and keeps himself from getting injured and ASU having to go back to Dylan Sterling Cole against a senior-heavy disciplined team, um, I, I think that Arizona State will be in pretty decent shape. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the upset. I'm going to say that ASU comes out of this with a, with a 26-21 win. Um, haven't had a lot of luck as of late picking uh, against or, or for ASU, but I think I'm still around 7-2 and two on the season. So uh, we'll see how that goes. And I appreciate you sitting through a solo edition of the Devil's Junkie Podcast. Look forward to having Brett Quintine and Chili back on the broadcast next week as we head into uh, the game against the Washington Huskies in Seattle. So thanks again for listening. This has been Ralph Amston for the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.